And, uh, you know, God doesn't work in a box. I mean, he is awesome. You cannot box him up and, and uh, put him in a box because he's too big to fit in any of our boxes. And so I, I want us to think about this. Rarely have I grown in my comfort zone. Rarely have I grown in my comfort zone. So often God takes us out of our comfort zones puts us in unfamiliar territory in order to stretch us and strengthen us and grow us. And so I want you to be encouraged in this. Hazelwood's going through a transition. Amen? There's a lot of changes. We may like some of them, not like others. Uh, But maybe, just maybe, and I believe that this is true, God is stretching Hazelwood Baptist Church to make it stronger, to, uh, to grow it. Uh, to to make it where it more reflects him. And so uh, don't run from that. <laughs> don't fight that. But hey, this may be a time that God is calling up some leaders. I mean, out of the congregation. And so one thing I know about us at Hazelwood, we have become too staff dependent. And the church will never run on the fuel of only the staff. It has to be the congregation. And so God may be calling you up and calling you out. So don't run from that. Don't, don't take this as a time, hey, maybe it's a good time to transition find another church. No, it's time to step up. They're going to ask you to step up where you go. Step up, fill the spot. God may be using this time for that. I know my home church when I was a young man. We had a pastor of 20 years that, that left, and he was so well known that it took four years to fill that position. Four years. Can you imagine? I don't think that Hazelwood would go anywhere near that long. But I want to tell you what God did during that four years. God raised up some people right there in the church, and when the pastor came, guess what? He found a church that was ready and equipped to help him. And so just maybe God is doing that here. So don't run from that. Embrace that. Rise up. Fill those spots. Take some leadership, Rose. Do something that you haven't done before, okay? And, and, and fill those spots. And I guess it is kind of related to what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we've been talking about the idea of while we're waiting. While we're waiting. And we know that in 1 Thessalonians, as we had mentioned, uh, every chapter ends with the idea of we are waiting on Christ. Let's just review those again. In chapter 1, verse 10, he says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. In chapter 2, verse 19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Chapter 3, verse 13. So that he may establish your heart blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Chapter 4, we know this very well, verse 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are waiting. We are waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to return. We're either going to go to him or he's going to come to us. But we're waiting for the Lord Jesus to come. We're waiting uh, for a pastor to come. But while we're waiting, we're not just waiting. Now, last week we talked about three resolutions of a waiting church and today we're going to think about the idea of while we're waiting we will be the model servant while we're waiting we will be the model servant and I believe here that Paul gives us four actions in chapter two four actions of a model servant so let's look in chapter two we're going to read verses one through twelve and then we'll have prayer For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because we had become very, you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we just pray today that you would bless the reading of your word. We pray that you would speak through us, that you would lead, guide, and direct us in all things. And to you may be all the glory. For we pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to look this morning at three actions, or rather four actions, uh, of a model servant. Now, while we're waiting, we need to be the model 
servant. And so in this text, Paul is kind of presenting himself back to the church at Thessalonica. He's calling on them to remember how he came into them, how he conducted himself while he was there. And he is literally setting himself up as the example that they are to follow as the, ma- as the servants of Jesus Christ. And, and so we can learn from this, these four actions of a model servant. Now, I want to admit that some of these are going to correlate with what we talked about last week. Uh, some of them are going to be close to the same. And we talked about corporately some resolutions that we need to make, but today we want to look at some actions that we must take, okay? And, and so the first one of those is a servant desires to please God. A servant desires to please God. Now, in verses 1 through 7, Paul kind of unpackages this idea of pleasing God, and he talks about several different things, but I want us to look at verse 4 in particular at at what he says. In verse 4, he says this, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God, who test our hearts, or in other words, who test our motives. He's saying, we're not here to please man, but we are here to please God. Now, now Paul had traveled to Thessalonica with stripes on his back from Philippi, you remember? In Philippi, he was beaten, and he was imprisoned, and uh, that's where Elvis Presley was inspired to write Jailhouse Rock. Because on that night, the jailhouse rocked, you remember, and and set him free. And he left Philippi with stripes on his back. He was mistreated, and he came to Thessalonica, and he was willing to suffer the same hostility, yet he'd done it with boldness. Why? Why? To please God. To please God. God doesn't always call us to rose petals and plum pudding. I mean, sometimes we have to go through difficult situations, difficult times in order to please God. And our our main motive should be we want to please God. At the heart of every servant should be this desire to please God. At times... That'll be the only thing that keeps you going. Everything we do is not pleasant. And and sometimes the only thing that's going to keep us going is this, this idea, this desire, this hope, this striving within us to please the one who has saved us by his grace, to please the one who stepped out of glory into human form to die for us and rise again so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And that desire to please him will keep us moving forward and serving him. And so we desire to please God. Now, I want you to notice the areas where Paul sought to please God. First, he desired to please God with his message. Look in verses 2 through two and 3. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. <laughs> what is he saying? Whew, this message is hard. This message met with stripes in Philippi, but guess what? 
when we came to Thessalonica, we preached the same message because it's the message that God has given us stewardship over. It's the only message that will save. And so we put our confidence, we put our boldness in the message of God because we want to please God with our messages. Now, there's a lot of messages being preached in a lot of pulpits today, but not every message that's being preached in the pulpits across America today has the gospel at the center of it. Amen? A lot of messages are directed towards pleasing people rather than pleasing God. And when I go to sleep at night, I want to know that my message, first of all, and most of all, even if it brought hostility from people, that it pleases God. And so... Our desire should be to please God. And Paul wanted to please him with his message, with the message. Uh, second of all, he, wanted, he desired to please God with his motives. Look in verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. In other words, he's saying, look, our motives are to please God. And then he says, so we speak to please man, not God, who tests our hearts, tests our motives, in other words. He's saying God puts our motives to the test. And so he says, I want to please God with my motives. Can I tell you a habit that you can get into, and even a preacher can get into this, so I'm going to admit this for all preachers, okay? It, we love it when we're standing at the back door and I know you say it every week. I mean, sometimes you say it out of habit whether you mean it or not. Great message, Pastor. We, we, we love that. But if that is the motivation behind our message, then our motives is wrong. Amen? Paul said, I want to please God because he knows my heart. And he knows if that message is going to is pleasing to him. And so Paul says, I want to please God. I have a desire to please God with my message. I have a desire to please God with my motives. And then he says that he desired to please God with his ministry. Look in verses 5 and 6. In verses 5 and 6, he says this, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as the apostles of Christ. And so he's saying, look, we want to please God with our ministry. We didn't come flattering people. We, we didn't come uh, looking for the money. We, we didn't come as a burden upon you. Uh, we worked with our own hands. Why? Because at the end of the day, at the end of the age, when Jesus does appear on the scene again, we want our ministry to be pleasing to him. Now, I want to ask you, and we're kind of applying as we go along, okay? Jesus is coming, and we're going to meet him. And several times as we look through the gospel, it tells us, will the Lord find us busy when he comes? Will the Lord be satisfied with us when he comes? Will, will we have gained on what he has given us when he comes? And the idea is, does our ministry please him? Now, let me just break something to you in case nobody's ever said this. Paid staff is not the only people that have a ministry. And I'm not saying that because you've let paid staff down at all. I'm just saying this. Every person that is born again is given a ministry. 
Every person that is born again is called to the mission field. You say, no, I work at Boeing. Boeing is your mission field if you work at Boeing. Uh, No matter where you work at uh, or where you go to school at, that's a mission field for you. It's a ministry for you. God has called you to that. And so while you're there, yeah, you're making a living for your family, but that's not the chief means of why you're there. The chief means for why you are where you are is because God puts you there. And God has a ministry and a mission for you there. And so at the end of the day, God's going to call you into account. And he's going to say, hey, that talent of Boeing or West Harden, or no, what's, this is what? This is not West Harden. What is this? West Hazelwood. <laughs> That's another county, okay, Harden is. He's going to say, what did you do with that? talent that I gave you that thing that I gave you as a ministry field what did you do with that and so we want to please God with our ministry and all of us have a ministry okay all right so we must beware of the temptation to please man Paul made it clear that his desire was to please God and not man we serve man to please God but not serve man to please man and at times we get that twisted We're here to please God, and a servant's desire is to please God. I want to look back at one other passage of Scripture with you. Flip back just a few books to Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Listen to what it says here. Paul is writing to them, and and he's clarifying his ministry to the Galatians. He's saying, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, he's saying, in our service to Christ, we're not always going to please man. But our service to Christ should rise above our desire to please man. A servant must desire to please God. Here's second action, okay? You with me? You got that one? Okay, good. Here's the second action. A servant determines to work hard. Look in verses 8 and 9, if you will. Paul says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Now, what is Paul saying here when he he talks about this? Paul's trade was he was a tent maker, and he had such a desire to please God and to serve the Thessalonians that he worked during the day and preached and taught and prayed and ministered at night. In other words, he was a bivocational pastor. And so he worked hard. Paul didn't have to do this. In verse 6, he says that he didn't have to do that. That as an apostle of Christ, he could have asked them for support uh, like he did other churches, uh, Corinth and Macedonia and things like that. But he didn't. He determined to work hard. And for us, we need to realize that serving the Lord is hard work and we need to determine to engage in it. It's hard. It's hard work. Most every one of you have a job, right? Or if you're, if you're retired, I had one person tell me, he said, 
being retired is the hardest job I ever have. <laughs> they said, our, grand, our, our kids uh, know that we're retired, and they're constantly asking us to do something. We've always got something to go to, and being retired is one of the busiest jobs I've ever had. How did, how did I work before? And we've all got things that we have to do, amen? Uh, we're busy, busy people, but that doesn't exclude us from service. It doesn't exclude us from service. Service is not easy, and at times it's exhausting. Do you know that pastors, and, and I bring this up, and please, I, I just want to kind of relate this so you understand and appreciate it a little bit. Staff works. They do. And they, they, they work their hours, and sometimes they work beyond their hours, and then they come to church events too and serve in other ways. And so all of us, we, we have to work, and sometimes it's really hard to muster up that strength to go a little bit further and work a little bit harder and do a little bit more. But I want to tell you, you're going into a period where you need to be ready to work and do that go a little farther work a little harder give a little bit more it may be exhausting but do it I think a lot of people give up and give in because they don't determine to work hard Paul compared his work here to a sacrifice don't you notice what he says here in verse 8 again if you will in verse 8 I love this he says so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become dear to us. I love the King James says, we were willing to share our own souls with you. And some other translations, we were willing to share our own lives with you. Man, that's a sacrifice, amen? In other words, he said, I didn't come just to preach to you. I didn't come to just preach the gospel and leave you. I was willing to give of myself to you, my very soul, my very life. In other words, it's a sacrifice. Did you hear a story about the, and I may not tell this right because I wasn't planning on telling it, so y'all bear with me. There was a chicken and a hog that was standing there, and it was looking at a sign about the men's breakfast. And the chicken said, hey, I'm going to give a couple of dozen eggs to this uh, thing. And he said, why don't you give some bacon? And he said, well, said, for you, said, those eggs are a gift, said, bacon for me is a sacrifice. Amen. Sometimes it's a sacrifice to, to give. Paul was willing to sacrifice for the church at Thessalonica, work hard and sacrifice. Most of us aren't called to that degree of service, but all of us are called to do the hard work of service. It is. All of us are. So, second action. Work hard. Determines to work hard. And I use that word determine because you have to determine that you're going to do it. Because if you don't determine ahead of time that you're going to work hard for the Lord, when the hard work comes, guess what you will do? You will determine that you're not going to work hard. Amen? So here's the third action. Desire to please God, determined to work hard. Third, a servant demonstrates godly character. Godly character. Look at verses 10 through 12. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless 
was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul describes his behavior before the Thessalonians. The first thing he says, he says that he was holy before them. Well, what's the idea? Was he saying that he was spot, uh, that he was sinless, that that he uh, never sinned before them? No, I'm sure that he probably lost his temper or did something. What he's saying when he says holy is that he lived a life that could be described as separate from sin. Not totally separate, but he's constantly separating himself from sin. That's the kind of life that we're called to do. We're not running to and embracing sin, but we're, to- we're always pushing back and separating ourselves from sin. That's a holy life, okay? So he says he was holy before them. Then he said that he was just before them. In other words, he maintained a right relationship with God and with his fellow man. He did the right things at the right occasion, and so he was just before them and then I love this last one he said he was blameless that's an interesting word in in the Greek the idea in the Greek is that no accusation against him could stick in other words he wasn't blameless there was plenty of people that said he he's not an apostle he's not preaching the true gospel you've got to add works to faith you can't just work you have to have uh, you have to have, uh, or you can't just have faith, you have to have works and faith. And so there was plenty that would bring an accusation against him. That's not what it means to be blameless. It means that nothing that anyone brings against you will stick. So Paul said that he was blameless before them. Why was his behavior so important? Well, he didn't want to disqualify himself. He didn't want to, in chapter 9 of of 1 Corinthians, he talks about running this race and and that he does not want to be disqualified or he does not want to be put on a shelf himself. He doesn't want to be a proclaimer of the gospel and be shelved, stopped from preaching the message that he's been preaching because of his behavior. In other words, our behavior can interrupt or distract from our message. And so Paul did not want to be disqualified. His behavior was radically different than that of the false religion around Thessalonica. His behavior gave credibility to his message. And we must keep in mind that our walk will give credibility to our talk. Now, I want to balance that out real quick if I can. You have to walk and talk. Some of you are real good at talking but not good at walking. And some of you is real good at walking and not good at talking. And some of us at any time in our life, we're good at one and not the other. But listen, we need to work on both. Amen? We need to have a walk that demonstrates that we are following Christ. Now listen to me. A spotless, blameless, just life alone will not lead anyone to Christ. It'll make them thirsty. It's like putting salt in a horse's mouth. It'll make them thirsty, but it won't save them, okay? You got to have the talk that goes with it. You got to walk it, and you got to talk it. If you don't walk it, when you talk it, they're going to think you're a hypocrite. Amen? 
And then if you just got to have the walk and the talk together. And so Paul says that he walked before them and he proclaimed the gospel. And so we have to demonstrate a godly life. We need both. I had a, a deacon one time and he told me, he said, well, Pastor Louie, he said, evangelism is your thing, but I like to work with my hands. I like to go help people rehab their house. And I said, well, I want to tell you, a Hindu can rehab somebody's house, and I'm glad that you do that, but you need to share the gospel with them while you're rehabbing that house. Amen? And you may live a good, holy life, and everybody may know that you don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't steal. But you need to tell them why you don't lie, you don't cheat. And you don't steal because Jesus has radically transformed your life through the gospel. Amen? So we need to walk it and talk it. Okay, so there's three, three actions. Let me give you the four. A servant devotes himself to love. Devotes himself to love. Look at verse 7 and then verse 11. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Verse 11, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And so he gives these two illustrations. He gives the illustration of a mother and a father to describe his affection for the Thessalonians. And now the fatherly thing I think we can understand. But isn't it interesting that, that he talked about it in terms of a, a nurturing mother to her children. Now I'm going to tell you something. You get between a mother and her children... And you got problems, buddy. I remember I was at a t-ball game. I was at a t-ball game. And we were all standing out there and we were watching these kids running around. And I mean, they it's like a smash derby when you go to a t-ball game. You ever been, uh, these kids are running every which way. It's so much fun. They'll run into one another trying to get the ball. They'll fight over the ball rather than get it and throw it where it needs to go. And so anyway... Uh, I was sitting here beside this lady that went to church with us and she's cheering for her baby that's out there and all these kids run together and they smash like that and her kid comes back and he's sliding across the ground and I'm going to tell you, she jumped the fence. And she runs out there and she loses her footing on the way and she lands on her rear end and slides into second base to catch her baby before he hits the ground almost. That's a mother's love. It is. I mean, and Paul said that he loved the church at Thessalonica as a mother loved her children. He nurtured them. He cared for them. He encouraged and comforted them. But then he says... That he treated them as a father would treat his children. Not only did he nurture and love them and encourage them and comforted them, but he challenged his children. He challenged them and taught them as a father would challenge and teach his children. 
And in verse 8, he said that he was so affectionately desirous of them that he was willing to give his life and that they were dear to him. Paul loved God and he loved people. And you and I, we have been called to the same thing. We're going to please God and love God. But we're going to love people. Now, it's hard. It's hard sometimes to serve people that you don't love. And it's hard to love people if you don't love God. And so we got to love God. And because God loves people, we're going to love people too. Those two walk hand in hand. Amen. Loving God and loving people. Now, here's how we're going to close out this morning. Paul was a model servant. And while we're waiting, Hazelwood, we're waiting. We're waiting on Jesus to come. Amen. Jesus is coming just as sure as you're sitting here this morning. Just as sure as you will eat lunch after this service today. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming and we're waiting on him to come. We're waiting on a pastor. And I tell you, they said that they had all kinds of resumes. And I bet you there's people lining up to be the pastor of Hazelwood Baptist Church. They can't wait for the opportunity to come here and be your pastor. You're waiting on God's man, just as John said. But while you're waiting, please don't just wait. Please don't just wait. Be a model servant. Be a model. Model servanthood all through this church, all through this community. I want you to know something. Jesus, Paul learned from the best. That was Jesus. And you and I, we can learn from Jesus to be the model servant. Jesus stepped out of glory and came to earth, not as a king, but as a servant. What did he tell us? The greatest among us will be what? Servant, servant of all, right? And so he worked hard. He pleased the Father. He lived an exemplary life. And he loved sacrificially that, he, that we might be saved from our sin. Jesus modeled it. And service to, other, to others a lot of times goes against our nature. And we can only do it. We can only serve others as a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's the only way that we can really do it. As a new creature and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can serve others. Now, sometimes we get distracted from the servant's life. And we need to get back to the course, back to the basics. And Jesus said, the greatest among us is he who serves. So here's the challenge today. If it's impossible for you to serve, you need to look at your heart and say, have I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Because it just comes natural to serve others when we have become a new creature in Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit has moved in. So if it's impossible for you to serve, look at your heart. Trust in Jesus. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, trust him today and he'll show you how to be a servant. But here's the second idea. If you've got distracted from it, if you got discouraged by the hard work, it's time to get back on course. How long has it been since you plugged in and served the Lord? Let's pray. 
Lord, I, I pray this morning that we would see the value of being a model servant. Lord, I pray that these words have not just passed over our lives, but I pray that they have penetrated our lives. And Lord, I, I pray this morning for the one that may be here that's never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray that they realize that the way to God is not through service, that it's only through Jesus Christ and trusting in him. But I pray that they would see that trusting in Jesus Christ brings with it a desire to please God and to love others and to serve others. And Lord, I know some of us, we've been Christians for a long time. We've dealt with the politics of church and we've been dashed by those around us and we've had those that have discouraged us and we've been worked to death before in church and we know all the things that come along with stepping up and stepping out and being the model servant. But Lord, I pray that we would be reminded this morning that it's not about our comfort. It's not about our ease, but we have been called to take up the cross and follow you. We have been called to set our hands to the plow and not look back. We have been called to lose our lives that we might save our lives. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray today that we would be reminded of the wonderful, glorious call to ministry that you brought into our lives when you called us to salvation. And, Lord, I pray that we would not be wooed to sleep by the words of the world that says it's not worth it but that we would be reminded today that when we stand up step up and take our spot that you work through us in a mighty way to bring yourself glory and to bring others to Jesus Christ and so I pray today for a revival in the hearts of your people to serve you no matter what the cost I pray, Lord, that we would step out and step forward without looking back to your glory. And we'll praise you in everything. In Jesus' name, amen.